Welcome to the 193rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start and end with NCAA basketball because Patrick didn't predict skills competition, three-point shooting, or anything else about NBA All-Star Weekend. So in college basketball, Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend predictions, meaning he went 4-0 combined. That brings Patrick's overall record to 668 and 426, a 61.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought it was a good week for me. Um, again, pretty obvious that it was a good week because 4-0 in NCAA and 12-0 in basketball predictions over the last two weeks, which are very, very good results. Um, but as I was texting a friend, um, talking about when things are in March, uh, everything kind of really just goes away and none of the previous knowledge really matters anymore. I always say that um, despite all the time that I spend with the college basketball season and all the knowledge that I have, I feel like most of the time it's a, it actually would have been better had I not paid attention because I just can't see certain teams losing. I think this year uh, Kansas might be one of those teams. They definitely have proven themselves time and time again. But because of that, I just don't know where I'm going to put them losing. And then one of those one seeds that looks really good, Kansas, Houston, Alabama, one of them is going to lose. I mean, I, I don't see how it could be. We, we, def, we, we technically could have a three seed, a, a three, one seed final four, but I don't expect that. Um, but you know, the knowledge is good for now and it'll continue to be good for my predictions, hopefully for the next week or two. But then again, it is March next week. So uh, maybe it won't stay good for that long, but going back on track, uh, so we'll start with Kansas. Cause I just spoke about them for a little bit. Number five, Kansas beat number nine, Baylor, 87 to 71. KU outscored Baylor 55 to 26 in the second half, which I mean, look, what a performance by them after Baylor came out on fire in the first half. KU stayed under control and once again looks like a team primed to compete for a championship. A separate note in this game, um, the there was a Chihuahua who performed at halftime of this game uh, before Kansas went on their big run. He also performed, or the Chihuahua, I actually don't know the gender of the Chihuahua, so I won't say that, but the Chihuahua also performed at Northwestern's halftime before they ended up taking, or before they, I think actually during the Purdue game, it might've been during the Indiana game, but either way, this Chihuahua is good luck. So bubble teams, I'm looking at Oregon. I'm looking at Michigan, uh, get that Chihuahua on the court at halftime, because that thing is good luck. It will give you a win over a ranked team. It will spark your second half. Uh, and since then, nobody with the Chihuahua performing at halftime over the last week has lost a game. Very, very important note there. Uh, no Chihuahua mentions for the rest of this, but speaking of dog like things, uh, UConn, the Huskies, number 20, beat Seton Hall 64 to 55. Uh, this game, I will admit, a very easy one to predict. Um, but anything else that I would have thrown in here would have been Miami and Wake Forest, which would have been the same result. I would have picked Miami because they were the home ranked team and they would have won. Indiana, Illinois, which despite being a much closer game, Indiana's still able to come out with the win there. So wouldn't have really changed things no matter who I predicted. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of games this weekend that were, th there were a few games that were obvious that should have been picked. And I picked those three um, and we'll get to the other two in a second, but this one was kind of just, what is the fourth game? I mean, I, I guess I could have picked Michigan, Michigan state as well. Uh, but with Michigan only sitting as a bubble team, that's not really that relevant either. Um, as I try to pick ranked teams every week. Uh, so I, I went with UConn and Seton Hall 
And I got the rivalry aspect filled with NC State and North Carolina already. Um, but speaking of that game, I, I did win that UConn prediction, but I guess I won all the predictions this week, so that should be pretty obvious. Number 23, NC State beat North Carolina 72-68. to UNC took a 59-57 to lead, and then NC State just completely took over the game. Uh, you could even argue that it started earlier, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Jarkel Joyner got an and one. The game was eventually tied up at, at 60 after, I believe, Caleb Love went to the free throw line, made one of two. Then Joyner and DJ Burns made layups to make it 64-60 to before a Joyner three in transition absolutely just took the roof off of NC State's building. I mean, I was watching that game, and I've never seen a crowd reaction that crazy for really just a 7-0 run. I mean, yeah, 7-0 run is a big run, but at the same time, it wasn't this enormous run over the number one team in the country or anything. It's an unranked North Carolina team that might miss the tournament, but that just goes to show you how much rivalries mean uh, to these teams. But then again, keep, uh, keeping on track, backing up further, NC state was down 54 to 48. They made their next nine shots in a row from the field to take a 69 to 60 lead. And the fans lost their minds. As I said, at all that scoring uh, important note in the long term. UNC fell to 0-9 versus quad one teams in this game, and their lack of good wins has them nearing the wrong side of the bubble as it stands. I have not made my bracket yet uh, for tomorrow. I haven't really started on that, so I cannot give a definitive answer, but I had them as the third team in my last four in on Thursday, so two teams away, or or three teams would have to pass above them uh, for them to go out, and I believe Mississippi State got an overtime win over Ole Miss, who was one of the teams that was either right behind them or maybe right ahead of them. Um, so I, I know th- at least that aspect has been covered, but I don't know about the other teams, so I'd have to go back and check. Uh, but North Carolina might be on the wrong end of things when it comes to the bubble in a second. But going back now to my final game in predictions, number 12, Kansas State beat number 19, Iowa State, 61 to 55. Iowa State's going to be a really hard team to to place in the tournament. Um, the reason being is that they are magnificent at home and they are horrible on the road. Uh, maybe not horrible. That's not, that's probably not a really fair description. But I, I would say at home, they're like a top five team in the country. If you look at their resume that only at home. But if you look at the resume only on the road, they're probably more like a bubble team. Um, so I, I don't know what you do with Iowa State. And I also don't know how where you put them in your bracket in terms of are they a sweet 16 team? Are they an elite eight team? Are they a first round exit? Because the fact of the matter is all those games are neutral. Uh, maybe if they get placed in Des Moines, you could say that's a home game. And then you could say that you pick them to win the first two rounds easily and then go out when they have to go away from Des Moines. Uh, but if they're not in Des Moines as a regional, I, I think neutral site games are not they're not the same as home or away games. Obviously, they're neutral. Um, and especially in the NCAA tournament where fan bases really go to travel. I, I really have no idea what this team's going to do in March. Uh, and it probably regardless of what they do, it probably won't be indicative of their season. I think they're pro- I would guess that they're most likely not going to end up having um, just an okay tournament run. I feel like they're either going to flame out really, really early or go way farther than they should. Okay. Well, that uh, wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. Uh, as always, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4thand24.com. Let's move over to the NBA and a little bit of a different weekly recap, uh, special recap now that we've reached the All-Star break. Patrick, let's start with any quick thoughts on All-Star Weekend. Well, Tatum and Kyrie were great in the actual game. Um, the format didn't produce as much intrigue as it has in recent years, as the game still wasn't close at the end, so players didn't put in much effort in the fourth quarter, uh, as they have with the target ending in the past years. Uh, so that's a little bit unfortunate. And, you know, 
I will admit um, that I actually was not able to watch the game and didn't have time to watch highlights of it yet because of the fact that I was actually on call for the Northwestern game on the radio. So I was still there uh, at Welsh Ryan Arena with that one uh, while the uh, while the All-Star game was starting. Um, so I didn't really get a chance to watch it, but I did see complaints from a bunch of players that uh, there was no effort being put in. And that's A, not surprising to me, but B, something that needs to be fixed and looked at going forward. I, I, the NBA definitely will, I assume, try to make other format changes. The one thing I don't want to see them do is the stupid thing that baseball had where the World Series home field was decided by the All-Star game. I think that's really stupid. Um, don't do that in basketball. It, it kind of made sense in baseball because at least there's not much of a there's not much of an increased injury risk in an all-star game in baseball as there is in the NBA because the NBA does have that same injury risk that it does all not all all of their games with sprained ankles, you know, getting hit in the head on on guys fouling you hard, whatever it happens to be. Whereas baseball, the things that people get injured on most often like dives, slides, collisions, running into a teammate, stuff like that, it's much more avoidable even in an all-star game where players are still trying. They can try without, you know, diving and making those catches that end up in injuries. Uh, so don't do that in the NBA. It's not a good idea. It, it, it's just, it, it's not, it, it doesn't incentivize actually competing in the regular season, which is ironic, uh, knowing that, you know, if you've secured the number one seed in your conference, home field isn't up to what you do overall in your overall record. It's just up to the all-star game. So then you don't really have to try in the final few games of the season if you know where your seating is in the conference. So I don't really like that rule. I uh, hope they don't do that, but they do need to do something to make the All-Star game more interesting. Um, but then in the other events, congrats to Dame on winning the three-point contest. A, a pretty good contest this year outside of Kevin Herter. Uh, although, you know what? The Kings have had a good season. They deserve to get their flowers, getting players in the three-point contest, getting, player, getting two players in the All-Star game. They deserve it after the first half they have had, and we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, congrats to Team Jazz, the home team, the hometown team, on winning the skills competition, and of course, congrats to Mac McClung on winning the dunk contest. No controversy about him winning this year, honestly. There shouldn't have been because he, I think, he just went out and had the best dunk, so he deserved it. Uh, but Trey Murphy the third was great as well, so it was a great contest this year. Um, some entertaining dunks, and overall, I would say a really good contest. So I'm satisfied with that because last year's was pretty pretty bad. And we talked about that on the podcast, but this year they find found guys to make it a little bit more interesting. All right. Well, now let's go to our uh, usual questions with a little twist on them. Who are your three most impressive teams of the first half of the NBA season? Number one has to be the Sacramento Kings. They went 32 and 25 in the first half. They have not made the playoffs in 16 consecutive seasons this is a well-documented fact. From 1998 to 2006, they made the playoffs eight, eight seasons in a row. And they're hoping that De'Aaron Fox and Devonis Sabonis can lead them into a new golden era. Uh, they have been among the best duos in the NBA this year. Uh, and Keegan Murray is one of the best rookies in the league as well. And both Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes have done a great job playing their roles, scoring about 15 points a game each. And then you have Malik Monk, who is even in the conversation for six man of the year. And Mike Brown has to be in the coach of the year discussion as well. So maybe more individual awards besides just the All-Stars. Um, coming for the Kings, but for now they can, Hey, they can hold their heads high considering that they are currently third in an extremely crowded Western conference playoff race uh, and on track to finally end that playoff drought with how they've played so far, as long as they can keep it up in the final 25 games of the season. Then for my second one, I have the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
They went 38 and 23 in the first half. Uh, I will say while we knew the Cavs were going to take a step forward, I did not have them being ahead of the Nets. And I think they were right with them even before trading away KD and Kyrie. Obviously now it's a little different now that the Nets have started to slide down the standings a little bit. But I think even before that trade, they were still right up there with them. So they deserve to be praised for that. Um, Donovan Mitchell has been the superstar that this team was missing. And both Darius Garland and Jared Allen have continued to improve up to consistent all-star level play. They made it last year, but I I think now they will continue to play at an all-star level for the rest of their careers. I don't know if the Cavs can keep getting three all-stars in though. Uh, And Donovan Mitchell is going to be a lock every year as well, because he is one of the best players in the league. Um, But, you know, the Cavs might not be considered part of that big three in the East either. But I wouldn't be surprised if they kept a series close against any of Philly, Boston, or Milwaukee, and maybe even pulled the upset off against Philly. Uh, I don't think they could beat Boston or Milwaukee, honestly, in a full series. But they deserve credit for a very successful and quick rebuild. Uh, Last year, they were in the play-in. And then this year, they're now probably going to make the regular playoffs with no difficulty whatsoever. Um, And finally, we have the Denver Nuggets, who were 41-18, and In the first half, in a crowded Western Conference race, the Nuggets have pulled away from everybody else. They are five games out of second place Memphis, eight games out of third place Sacramento, and just one game back in Boston for the best overall record in the NBA. Jokic is on track to three-peat as MVP, and both Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray have been great in their respective returns from injuries that held them out of significant portions of last season. Uh, In Jamal Murray's case, I believe the entire season. Even guys like Bruce Brown have done a great job playing their role and the Nuggets are forced to be reckoned with in the West. Uh, look, they've just had a great season. They deserve all the praise they're getting. Jokic deserves probably the other another MVP because now he's finally brought, every single time we ask a question of Nikola Jokic, of can he do this, can he do that, he always seems to bring it to the next level. Last year, the question before the year was, can he sustain that level of production for more than a season, nearly averaging a triple-double? He did that. He even increased his scoring average. Uh, and now this season, the question was, Now that he has his guys back around him, can he take the Nuggets and make them a really, really successful team? And here they are sitting one game back of the number one overall record. Every single time you ask a question of his value to maybe take away from his MVP case, he just keeps going out and proving it. The only guy who really has a chance to take him out of that is either Giannis or Joel Embiid with great second halves and either of their teams finishing the one seed. But if it's the Celtics and Tatum doesn't start dropping 40 every single night, then I don't think that anybody is taking Nikola Jokic off of the top of the MVP ladder. Uh, but for some honorable mentions for these teams, I actually have a lot. But OKC and Utah, both for having very, very young rosters, but still being pretty successful and in the playoff race, making it a crowded race in the West, uh, and also for being ahead of the Lakers. Um, then I- I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to say Milwaukee and Boston at the top of the East. Because I gave credit to the Nuggets, I have to at least give them honorable mentions. Uh, and same thing with Memphis in the West for being second there. Uh, but then also New York for outperforming expectations. But getting up to the sixth seed isn't still that impressive because their roster is good enough that they should be in the at least the eight or nine seed pretty easily. So the sixth seed for them is not really too impressive, but I think they at least deserve some mention for finally pulling it together after they had one great season, but then really kind of fell apart last year and didn't do anything at all. Okay, let's uh, move over to the flip side of the coin. The most disappointing NBA teams in the first half. Even I might be able to name these teams. Yeah, I think that this is more obvious. Like I put, I think what I had six honorable mentions for the uh, most impressive teams. And it was less so that those teams were particularly impressive, but more so that they were on the level 
or pretty close to what the Nuggets and the Cavs are on in terms of having higher expectations and meeting them. But for the most disappointing teams, this is obvious. I mean, these teams, there are not many honorable mentions that you can put here, but I I, I came up with some, but very were not not great reasoning. Uh, definitely very easy to name these three. The Lakers are number one, 27 and 32. This team significantly overhauled its roster at the trade deadline, but only because they really, really needed to do so. They still sit two games out of the playoffs in the 13th seed currently, but this team needed some major work done before they figured things out. They still haven't really figured things out either. Uh, but for this team, not only to be wasting the great season that LeBron James is having, even honestly should be somewhere in the MVP conversation, probably at least arguing for the top five. He's in my top five, spoiling that. I'll talk about a little bit about that later, but um, he, he should be, he should be good enough to lead a team to the playoffs and their supporting cast just has not done enough. Um, mainly the injury issues, especially with AD and even LeBron on the recent with the recent angle injury has uh, kind of, derailed the Lakers season. They had a really bad start and then they kind of started to pull it back together, but then injuries just took it all apart again. Uh, we'll see now that they're both healthy for now, uh, if they can pull it back together with that new look roster. I will say the starting five of D'Angelo Russell, uh, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Ru LeBron James and Russell and sorry, not Russell Westbrook, um, <laughs> Anthony Davis, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Russell Westbrook, blah, 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 blah. Uh, that, that starting five looks a lot better on paper than the one they had before. Um, and even having a guy like Mo Bamba coming off the bench and the, and still Rui Hachimura now coming off the bench instead of being in the starting lineup, it, it, the, the team looks significantly improved, honestly. Um, I think the Lakers did a great job at the trade deadline, but at the same time, the fact that they needed to do that much is disappointing. And this team just has not lived up to the expectations last year or the year before that. Uh, then you have the number two uh, defending champions, I should say, um, Number two on my list, the Warriors, who went 29 and 29. They are two different beasts at home and on the road, 22 and seven at home, but seven and 22 on the road. For a team with as much experience as the Warriors have, this issue should not be as big of an issue as it is. Uh, it must be fixed soon, and the Warriors are currently only sitting as the ninth seed in the West. They do not want to be in the play-in bracket. Uh, remember, there was a year a few years ago where we thought that, yeah, the Warriors are in the play-in, but it's fine. You know, they'll play the Lakers, and then... We'll see what happens at, with the Lakers. And then if they don't, they'll probably be able to beat the Grizzlies. And then as we all know, what ended up happening is that the Warriors did lose that game to the Lakers on the road, but then they went back home and everybody thought they would win that home game. But Memphis beat them in that play-in game and in overtime and sent the Warriors home. Obviously last year, they rebounded with the championship and beat Memphis on the way. So I'm not saying that it's it's a year to doubt the Warriors, but at the same time, there are some talented teams in the West and you do not want to get caught in the play-in bracket playing a team like even New Orleans, who could come up and if Zion gets healthy by the end of the season, but they still kind of weren't able to stay afloat without him, they're probably a good enough roster to take the Warriors out of it in the play-in bracket. When you bring things down to just a one-game sample, it can really change the outlook of things. Uh, but speaking of the play-in bracket, the Chicago Bulls, who are 26 and 33, are probably not even going to make that for a team that has made the East that made the Eastern Conference playoffs as a six seed last year. This year has been a total disappointment for the Bulls, ending up seven games under 500 with not too much with not much momentum and no trades to improve the team is a bad place to be considering where this team has been for the last few years. Not even in the playoff picture over teams like the slumping Hawks, uh, the Raptors, the Wizards. It's just kind of embarrassing um, at this point. And the fact that they also didn't do 
what the Lakers ended up doing. I mean, they have pretty much the same record, 27 and 32, 26 and 33. They're in virtually the same position. I believe the Bulls are in the 12th seed and the Lakers are the 13th. So look, the Lakers overhauled their roster, right? They they took their stars and they said, okay, you guys can stay. Everybody else, you're gone. We're going we're gonna to rework this whole thing. But the Bulls just kept the same exact roster and did not improve at all before the trade deadline. So I just don't see where you look next for the Bulls. It's just been a really disappointing season. Uh, but at least they didn't have as high expectations as the Lakers and the Warriors did heading into the season. And then for some honorable mentions, Charlotte has been a team that's kind of floated with playoff, flirted, I should say, with playoff contention a few times recently, especially in the play-in bracket a few years ago. But finishing or being 17 and 43 in the first half is just embarrassing. I mean, this team should not be as bad as it is. They, they just don't, they needed to improve their roster. They needed to do something, but they weren't even that involved in the trade deadline. They got a few picks here and there from some trades, but they still didn't do as much as I kind of wanted them to. Um, and in general, just being as bad as they are down there with the Pistons and teams like that worse than the Magic, it's just not where they should be. Um, then I have Dallas because, yeah, Lucas had some injuries, but at the same time, this team had expectations that this was the year that they were finally going to get up there in the West. And even with Kyrie Irving um, coming in in the middle of the season, I do like that trade. That is probably the reason why – that's the reason why I kept them off this list, honestly, is just because I, I see the future for them getting better, um, at least – the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens later on with Kyrie, but I don't know if he'll resign there, but look, I do think they'll be better come the second half. And I think they will make the playoffs without needing to be in the play in bracket. But the fact that they're close to it right now is not a good sign. And then finally I'll put Brooklyn on here. Um, they had a good first half, honestly, they did, but then they traded away everybody. So I, I felt like it wasn't just to them to put them on this list because they had reached all the way up to the two seed at some point earlier in the season. So it didn't feel right to put them on the most disappointing teams, but they definitely deserve an honorable mention just for how that ha the first half ended trading away all those players that brought them that success. Okay. Well, who do you have as your player of the year in the NBA for the first half? Well, you can you can consider this my MVP ballot. Uh, I have Nikola Jokic. I said this before that he was likely to three-peat, but now he's averaging a triple-double, something he didn't do in either of the MVP seasons before. 24.7 points, 11.5 rebounds, 10.1 assists, and 1.3 steals per game. Uh, look, I've talked about him enough, so I'm not going to ramble on too much about it uh, as we have a lot of college basketball games to talk about. But I will also say, honorable mentions, this isn't an order. This is not no particular order. I have Joel Embiid in second, T Jason Tatum in third, LeBron in fourth, Giannis Antetokounmpo in fifth. Really, the final three could be in any order, honestly, but I think that is the top five for sure. And I think Embiid, Jokic is a cut above the rest. Embiid is a cut above the others that are on this list. Um, and then Tatum, LeBron, Giannis, even you could throw in a, a guy like Donovan Mitchell at the very bottom of that list. Probably not up here with this top five, but definitely in the conversation too. Um, that is my top five for now, though. I, I will go with Embiid, Tatum, LeBron, and Giannis as the honorable mentions. Okay, let's shift gears away from the NBA and towards college basketball action uh, with our weekly look and starting with close games. Number nine, Baylor beat West Virginia 79 to 67. West Virginia started to take a tumble this week. Um, I will talk a little bit more about them later, but they went from a strong contender for maybe even a seven seed at this point if they had won a few more games 
to now looking at maybe being a team that's on the bubble and not necessarily trending in the right direction either. Uh, but I'll move on from that for now. Baylor, by the way, having a very good season with a very good resume. Um, the news of the week actually was that the committee did their top 16 reveal. Um, I will pull that up now. They had Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas as the one seeds in that order. Then I will just go through the rest of the snake really quickly. Texas, Arizona, Baylor, UCLA, Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, Indiana, Marquette, Gonzaga, and Xavier. So if you're talking about Baylor, they are in good position. Um, they if they already ha- if the committee already has them as the seventh overall seed as a two seed, I think they'll be able to retain a two seed pretty easily by the end of the season. They just need to stack up a few more wins. Texas is even on a little bit of a slide, so Baylor might have moved above them despite losing to Kansas later in the week. And the Big 12 is just a gauntlet, and it looks like the committee recognized that as, what, five of the top 12 are Big 12 teams when you have Kansas, Baylor, Texas, Iowa State, and Kansas State in there. Um, If you want my opinion on that, my one surprise and the thing that I just flat out disagree with, Indiana is not a top four seed. Their resume is just not good enough for that. They are a very good team. And in terms of how they're playing right now, they are playing like a top 15 team, like a top four seed, but their resume overall on the year is now nowhere near good enough to be a top four seed. They should be on the five or six line and UConn should be here instead. Uh, But at the same time, it'll all work itself out by the end of the season, because if Indiana is going to keep playing the way they've played um, recently with that win over Illinois that helped them. Honestly, they'll probably move up in my bracket because of that win against Illinois. So they'll keep moving up. It'll it'll work itself out by the end of the season. But uh, the way that the committee ranked the other teams, I just don't see. I really feel like they had a consistent method for all of the rest of the teams, even with putting UCLA lower as the lowest two seed. There was a method there to all of that. But then Indiana kind of threw a wrench in that plan because they're kind of the opposite of that method. They're like going basically solely off of eye test and not off of the metrics, whereas the other ones felt very metrics driven, especially with Kansas as a one seed um, and not putting them as a higher one seed, because I think the eye test would tell you Kansas is better than Purdue at this point. But anyway, I will move on from what I have to say about that. That will be reflected in my bracket tomorrow, though. I'll do all of that with the committee's new top 16 and then adjust it for the games that happen after that, because after all, look, they set it out on Saturday and then all, and then half the teams in the bracket lost anyway. So it doesn't even matter. Uh, but look, Moving on from that, a team that had a case to be in that top 16 that maybe should be angry also might be a team that should be ahead of Indiana as well. Number 15, Miami. The committee did mention them as a team that was in consideration, but they beat North Carolina 80-72 to 72 on the road. North Carolina is still unable to get a quad one win. That was earlier in the week. We'll talk about them later in the week more, although I already talked about them against NC State losing that game for my predictions. Uh, then you have number five, Kansas, who beat Oklahoma State on the road 87-76. to 76. Oklahoma State is a solid team, so Kansas getting that win is a big, big deal they're able to go in on the road in a tough environment and get a double-digit victory. Then you have number 24, Providence, who beat number 18, Creighton, 94 to 86 in double overtime. In terms of score, this was not Creighton's typical game. It was a very high-scoring game. But in terms of game script, this is a Providence game through and through, a double overtime game, really close. They cannot beat a team without making it really close. Uh, they are keeping that resume this year. Uh, And this next team that I'm going to talk about has kind of become like Providence, Northwestern, beat number 14, Indiana. I think they have earned the right to be called the second best team in the Big Ten. 2-0 against Indiana on the season with this 64-62 home victory. 1-0 versus Purdue, 1-0 versus Illinois. They play Illinois again on Thursday uh, in Champaign, so we'll see what happens with that game. If they're able to beat that, though, I mean, Northwestern also, speaking of a team that should be 
in top 16 consideration. At this point, Northwestern should be there. Uh, not not in the top 16, but in that conversation, firmly in that conversation for sure. Uh, if Providence was able to get a top four seed last year, uh, the one knock on Northwestern was that they've only won, they've won good games, but they've also and gotten good wins, but they've only done it in close games. But look, Providence did that all of last year in a weaker conference, and they still got a top four seed. So Northwestern, by the end of the season, if they're able to pull off maybe one or two of these road upsets at the end of the season, because I think they will be the underdog in most of these games, uh, they and they and they're able to hold down their home court and beat Penn State on senior night. I believe Northwestern should be a top sixteen team by the end of the year and in the top four seeds. Uh, but speaking of other teams in the top sixteen. Number 10, Tennessee beat number one, Alabama, 68 to 59. This was earlier in the week, but it was not enough to knock Alabama off the one line. Actually, they were number one overall in the committee's reveal still. And I do agree with that because partially because Alabama did beat Houston on the road. I think that if those two teams had never played each other, first of all, because Houston would have one less loss uh, or one fewer loss and Alabama would have one fewer good win. But I just think that that's kind of like a little bit of a tiebreaker with teams that have very, very close resumes to each other. Um, and the committee's going off of that. And if Alabama had lost this game without playing Houston and beating them earlier in the season, this probably would have knocked them off of number one overall. But because they have that win, that will hold strong by the end of the season for sure. And Alabama is definitely happy that they scheduled that game at this moment. By the way, this is why more teams should schedule Houston in the non-conference, although next year they'll be in the Big 12, so it won't matter anymore. Uh, but then you have number seven, Virginia, who beat Louisville 61 to 58. In the scope of the eye test, Virginia is very hard on the eyes. Uh, too many close games against too many teams, not dominant enough for a top 10 team. There's a reason why the AP poll has them at seven, because they just can't, they keep winning, so you can't move them down. But the committee only had them at 10 because their games were too close. Uh, then you have number 11, Marquette, who beat number 18, Xavier, 69 to 68. A game between the two top teams in the Big East turned into an instant classic, a very fun game to watch. Uh, and Marquette coming out with the victory. Then you have number 19, Iowa State, beating number 22, TCU. Iowa State continues to be rock solid at home, but bad on the road. Uh, number 21, San Diego State, beat Fresno State 45-43. to This looked more like the San Diego State teams of the past. This year, they've been a little more offensive than they have been defensively focused. Um, but this game was kind of an ode to the past few seasons of San Diego State basketball. Very low-scoring game that they end up pulling out in the end. Number six, Texas beat Oklahoma 85 to 83 in overtime. This one would have been huge for an OU team that's stuck on the bubble from a very bad start to conference play. Uh, but Texas able to right the ship a little bit and get this one over Oklahoma. They had a bad loss earlier in the week that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but number seven, Virginia beat Notre Dame 57 to 55. This team just needs to be better offensively. I already said it like a few games ago, but close games, they keep playing against bad teams. They're not a good sign at all. Notre Dame actually had a shot to win this game, an open look from three off of a missed free throw, but they weren't able to knock it down. Uh, you have number 12, Kansas State, beating Iowa State. I already talked about that one. Number 14, Indiana, beating Illinois, 71-68. I will say, though, I've never been less impressed that a team continuing to win games than I have been with Indiana. As I, I mentioned them in the scope of the committee in the top 16 reveal, but I just don't believe that this team is a top 15 team. Uh, I think they got lucky that Michigan decided to just not remember how to execute offensively for five and a half minutes they should have that loss on their resume as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if a hungry Michigan team that's really needs that win for the tournament goes into Assembly Hall and becomes the second team on the season to actually beat Indiana on the road. They have a bunch of wins early in the year that looked good at the time, but didn't end up actually contributing to their resume that much. We'll see what happens when they play Purdue on the road. 
Um, I expect for Purdue fully to win that rematch. Uh, they have that loss against Arizona where it wasn't close throughout it at all. They have a few games like that that just don't inspire that much confidence in me. And their win over North Carolina was big at the time, but now we know North Carolina can't beat any good team. So at this point, stock is, I'm not buying stock on Indiana right now. I'm also not really selling it either, but I'm definitely staying out of their market. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, number 15, Miami beat Wake Forest 96 to 87. A team on the bubble does not capture one that really could have helped them out, just like Oklahoma. Uh, but Miami just too good for Wake Forest to beat them on the road. Uh, number 17, St. Mary's beat BYU 71 to 65. St. Mary's continues to struggle against BYU specifically this year, but in the end, they are still in first in the West Coast Conference. And uh, maybe if Gonzaga's horrible defense can let them down one more time, St. Mary's won't have to beat Gonzaga on the road. Uh, to win the conference uh, outright, but they're at least probably going to get a share as they only need to win a few more games. Their conference tournament starts pretty soon, and they just have a few games left where all they need to do is not lose to teams not named Gonzaga. Uh, and even if they take that loss at Gonzaga, they'll end the season one and one against Gonzaga. They will win a share of the WCC title with that. Uh, number 18, Creighton beat St. John 77 to 67. Number 12, Kansas State beat Iowa State. I actually have that already. I don't know why I wrote it twice. Uh, number 20, UConn. Beat Seton Hall. We talked about this in my predictions. Use NC State beat North Carolina, as we talked about in my predictions. Um, and then number two, Houston beat Memphis 72 to 64. Typically the toughest game of the year for Houston. While Memphis, in my opinion, proved themselves as a tournament level team in this game, Houston still came away with a close win. All right, I'll let you take a breath there and slow down and say, let's look at the upsets from last week. Go. Texas Tech beat number six, Texas. Texas Tech getting themselves back on the bubble there. Uh, that's why I talked about Texas having a bad loss earlier in the week. This is what I was talking about. Oklahoma getting themselves briefly back on the bubble with a win over number 12, Kansas State, 79 to 65. But then, as I mentioned, they later in the week lost to Texas in overtime. They're probably still in consideration somewhere, but maybe not in the first eight teams out of the bracket. Somewhere in that mix, though. Syracuse beat number 23, NC State, 75 to 72. Maybe NC State caught looking ahead to that North Carolina rivalry game a little bit too much. Um, and then it gave them the momentum to kind of get some revenge um, for that loss to go beat out, to go out and beat North Carolina. And then not really an upset because Maryland was actually favored in this game, but Maryland beat number three, Purdue 68 to 54 and beating Purdue by 14 is no small feat. Uh, Purdue has lost three of their last four now uh, heading into the weekend. They actually killed Ohio state on Sunday, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Middle Tennessee beat number 25 FAU 74 to 70, just FAU's third loss of the season. This was the game that I decided to tune in to scout FAU, and it appears I picked the wrong game to watch. Uh, but FAU is still a good team. I, I think it was just an off night for them from what the broadcasters were describing as well. They know much better than me because I haven't watched them that much. Uh, Kentucky beat number 10 Tennessee. Tennessee goes one and one and arguably the hardest week of their schedule playing Alabama on the road or Alabama at home and Kentucky on the road. Not bad, but still could have won this one. Uh, on the UK side, a big win to try to move off the bubble. Speaking of the bubble, but uh, not a big win at all. Louisville beat Clemson 83 to 73, losing to a four and 23 team when fighting for a spot in the tournament is not a good look for anyone, especially not a good look for a Clemson team who has really has a few wins this year, but mostly has just beaten bad teams. Um, and now that they're failing to beat bad teams as well. I mean, they really got to pull it together at the end of the season if they want to make the tournament, because right now they're on the outside looking in, in my opinion. Then you have Michigan, who beat Michigan State 84-72. to Speaking of outside looking in, Michigan still has a very, very small chance to make the tournament. I'd say like 20% as of right now. Must win at least one of the three road games. 
uh, against Indiana, Illinois, and Rutgers, and beat Wisconsin at home, and then win two games in the Big Ten tournament. Although that was not what was most important about this game, though this game was about healing um, after the mass shooting on Michigan State's campus, uh, the senseless mass shooting on Michigan State's campus, and Michigan made some gestures to um, help Michigan State out, try to show some support, uh, really a pause on the rivalry for the week, uh, as this rivalry is normally very heated. If you looked at Twitter in any other week, normally this week would be a bloodbath, but I mean, this week was pretty much with the exception of a few um, bad apples in the media, I'll just put it that way, uh, was a good week on that front, and those fans really getting together supporting each other as they are all still part of the same state. Yeah. Nice touch from Michigan. Um, I hope it does turn the temperature down on the rivalry a little bit, including for yours truly. Um, all right, let's move over to some other important games in college basketball from last week. Number one, Alabama beat Georgia 108 to 59. This was important because Alabama needed to respond after their loss against Tennessee and respond. They did. Uh, Georgia is not great, but also not the worst team in the conference. So this results a pretty big statement by Alabama that, uh, yeah, they're the number one team in the country. I mean, you got to leave it at that for now. I still don't have them. I have Houston as my team to win the tournament because they play better defense than Alabama does, and they are more consistent, whereas Alabama kind of relies on good shooting to, you know, put up 108 points like they did against Georgia on Saturday. But Alabama will still be there right at the end. I, I, I have them going pretty far at this point if the tournament were to start right now. Uh, then you have number five, Kansas, who beat Baylor 87 to 71. Talked about that one earlier. Number 22, TCU. Beat Oklahoma State 100-75, to a very good result for TCU to beat a team like Oklahoma State, a tournament-quality team by 25 points. That'll look good in the metrics and the eye test. Uh, number three, Purdue beat I Ohio State, sorry, 82-55, to stopped a two-game losing streak, had lost three of their last four games before this win. So it was pretty important that they got in the win column and did so in dominant fashion over Ohio State after a tough road trip at Maryland and Northwestern. And speaking of Northwestern, they beat Iowa 80 to 60. I was on the call for the radio in this game, uh, but Northwestern will be ranked today and they deserved it. They definitely deserve it. A 20 and seven record and sole possession of second place in the big 10 is more than enough to be a ranked team. Uh, this win honestly was Northwestern achieving the last thing missing from their tournament resume before, which was a dominant victory over a team in the top half of the conference. They had many victories, but they also had the season sweep in terms of losing twice to Michigan and also, you know, they barely beat Indiana both times by a combined uh, three points uh, and then, you know, beat Purdue by, by I believe, four or six points. But very, very close wins all the time. So for Northwestern to come out and dominate this Iowa team, that was very, very impressive. Looks good on paper. Looks good for the metrics. Looks good for the eye test. All right, that wraps up our look at college basketball action for the week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 27th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly look back at the NBA and college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on Tuesday and his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.